You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Episode 11, we talk about tonight's rezoning meeting, and we have special guests, Chief Kerr Putney and Councilman Ed Driggs. This is Eric Spanberg from the Charlotte Business Journal. You're listening to R&D in the QC. Don't trust these guys. All right, friends of the pod, you have had a week off from our company, and we hope you use that time to get caught up on old episodes. But we are back because we had a meeting tonight, and it was long enough that it could have been... Actually, it is going to be two meetings because we didn't even finish it. It's still open. We will finish it next week before our business meeting. i got to tell Maybe we should tell the, our audience. We're normally pretty delirious at this point. I, 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 feel, I think we've, we've gone a step beyond delirious yeah. to just uh, comatose. I mean, that was straight seven hours of zoning conversations. That was right after, like, another seven uh, hours of preparing for it. Yeah, so no, I don't no, know how was, many hours that is total, that, that but was, it's above 13. It, it was a six-hour meeting after a however long day. Anyway. The turkey dinner really helped with things, <laughs> though, you know. Tryptophan, yeah. always effective for but, a six-hour zoning meeting. Larkin, tell me. So we started the week off in a pretty exciting yes. way. Yes. We didn't get to talk about it last week because we didn't have an episode. But um, we might have mentioned to you or you might have heard she, she recorded one of our transitions a couple weeks ago and she was here to interview us. About a month ago, we had our friend Valerie, friend of the pod, from the Wall Street Journal in town, writing an article about not just Charlotte City Council and, and the youth wave we had on, on that, but um, more at large how countrywide there's a movement towards younger people being elected to office and the, how they're kind of shaking up the, the governments that they are then running. Um, so we were in the Wall Street Journal on Monday, not only in it, which, Boom. We, which we knew we were going to be, but we were on the front cover of the Wall Street Journal. So Big deal. Below the fold, but still front page nonetheless. Well, let's not be picky. And I, I'm just going to presume now that there are at least thousands of new people listening to the pod this week because of the Wall Street Journal. So welcome. We hope you'll stay and uh, and be be friends of the pod I mean, this now. It's a huge deal. Like we are it was. huge celebrities. Now. I got to do an interview with the London Times. Yeah, why did they call you? You know, wait, hold on. I know why. Because you're banning words. I am. <laughs> it is interesting. So yeah, we were we were on the cover of the Wall Street Journal and it somehow got misinterpreted as me trying to actually pass laws banning certain words. So if you didn't see that article, you should definitely go check it out. I'm also definitely not trying to ban words. Um, but it was a really cool article. They talked about the the new mayor of Minneapolis, uh, who's a young guy. And um, did he really say that the tweet of? So you again, you'll have to go read the article. But there's a, a funny thing about the the mayor of Minneapolis and a reference he makes to Philadelphia Eagles and their fans. Um, and I think it was staged, but it was still funny. I did look up that um, that video of him doing the welcome since they hosted the Super Bowl. Anyhow, it should was, we call you Agent D from now on? Yeah. By the way. Another reference to the article you'll have to Agent go read. of destruction. Uh, it was a it was a pretty Lucky. exciting a pretty exciting thing. I mean it's not it was super great. Man. It was not I, something I, I that I think any of us anticipated three or four months into office. Um, but again, it means more eyes are on us and we've got to uh, we gotta step up and get the work done. And we got a lot of work done tonight. Um, it was pulling teeth at, at times, but mm-hmm. um, what do you want to jump into first? We we had a lot of we had like 40-some zoning cases that we were either making decisions on or had hearings for tonight. Uh, I think we've got like six or eight left for next week that we couldn't even get to. You you take first crack at it. I know we had a couple of affordable housing ones. We had a CPCC hearing that was um, interesting. Let's take them in order. We did we did affordable housing decisions tonight. We did two of them. Mm-hmm. 
You pick which one you want to start well, with. Well, why don't we start with Mountain Island Lake? And uh, again, large, uh, a decent number that those community members came out in opposition. And um, emailed us. And emailed it. Yeah, did a lot of emailing. At the end of the day, it was less about their emails and the points they were bringing up, which were valid points. But for me, school um, overcrowding, yeah, traffic, uh, definitely challenges that we have um, th- that have been unsolved. And we had some pretty direct and blunt wording about how uh, some of those challenges need to be addressed from some of our colleagues uh, tonight. But for me, this one was this one was pretty. It was more technical as it related to zoning process than it was affordable housing. Uh, and so I was I opposed this one. Myself and Councilman Mitchell were the only two that opposed this one. And I supported the other one we're going to talk about in a minute, but for two very different reasons. Uh, I, I want to make sure people don't get the sense that in my opposition of this was me being opposed to affordable housing. If you listen to this podcast, you know I'm for it. You know I'm working to find solutions. But this one, one, uh, not only could we legally not contemplate the affordability of the housing in our decision, but even more so than that, it, it was not at all guaranteed that it was something that was going to happen if we approved this conventional zoning. So we have conditional zonings and conventional zonings. Conventional, basically, this is what it's going to be. You can basically do anything you want with no strings attached within this realm if we approve it. They were making the argument to us that due to time constraints and other things like that, they really needed to make it conventional, to which my challenge was, well, you know, we could approve it with you maybe having a one in four set of odds of winning that affordable housing federal money to ultimately get it done. But in no way does this tie you to have to do that. And if you decide uh, that you don't want to go that route or you don't get the money, you now have a much more valuable piece of land because of the decision we made. So this was more of a me being opposed to uh, a conventional zoning approach that didn't at all guarantee affordable housing versus the, the other case, which was affordable housing in nature. Yes, yeah, so I think a couple of things to kind of drill in and clarify. Um, you, you explained conventional versus conditional. Conventional is basically us just approving the general land use, the new land use that's being asked of us, and that would allow anything that's permitted within that zoning as opposed to a conditional. We're really approving a site plan. They're yeah. giving us a plan. They're giving us you know, drawings of what the buildings are going to look like in most cases. So um, we're approving a much looser theory of land use in these conventionals. And so, you know, we get accustomed to and and we like seeing the actual project and what it's going to be. And then, too, the the point of that it's not uh, they're not bound to do affordable units or workforce units is not an indication that they're disingenuous in their desire to do those but just that it's contingent on, as you mentioned, a lot of tax credits. So I think that um, that was a tough one. I think your point on the conventional rezoning was valid. Clearly the schools and the, and the traffic concerns are valid. But the point I'll make on those is, you know, uh, Dr. Harlow, Councilmember Harlow, whose district this is in, he and I were looking through the book today. And without, with one exception, I think, where they referenced any schools in any of these rezonings, they are all overcrowded. So... We can't, uh, and I've asked staff to give us a map that would, would even more clearly indicate where we've got overcrowding or where we are not actually at capacity in schools. And my guess is that almost the entire city and the entire county is going to be red on that map, which would indicate that they're overcrowded. So unless we press pause on all development in Charlotte, which no reasonable person would think is, is the path we should take, then we've got to say, 
you know, this is a difficulty, but it's not a unique difficulty to your part of town. It's it's a difficulty in all parts of town, and we can't we can't oppose rezonings solely based on that if every rezoning that comes before us is dealing with the same issue. Yeah. And and what well, one last point on this one, and this is to our developer listeners out there. I, I want to make it abundantly clear that I am strongly supportive of conventional zonings and bringing those to us. I like the concept. It's less bureaucracy. It's less red tape. It moves through the process faster. But it's it's an, there's an and statement that goes along with that. I'm strongly supportive of conventional zoning. And when the petition is consistent with the area plan, if it's inconsistent, and, and in this case, right, the, the, this area plan called for mixed use. This was multifamily uh, residential. So this was a conventional zoning, but it was not consistent with the plan. So that if we're going to do something that's inconsistent with the plans that we've spent so much time, decade over decade for, and in this case, I got confirmation from our staffers that indeed nothing has changed in the last 16 years or so since this plan was created that would lead us to believe that it was no longer valid versus another one we heard later on, which the guy basically say, said, I don't want to go down uh, a rabbit hole. This thing is ridiculous. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but my, <laughs> one of my favorite things staff has ever said in one of these meetings was tonight yes. when you asked and got, I couldn't believe it. I could believe you asked it. I couldn't believe you got confirmation of it. You, on a different issue, said, so is your logic behind supporting this to staff, is it because the area plan for that area is absurd, or is it absurd? Is not the word you use. It was something close, something to that, to the, to that effect. And, and the and the staff was like, yeah, said, it's, it's ridiculous. Yes, yes, the 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 plan makes. But no that sense. was not the case here. No. So my point to any developers out there are strongly supportive of conventional zonings when you bring them through, but it needs to be consistent with the area plan. Unless the area plan, unless the absurd. area plan is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as that's not the case, this if is it quite is a the flow case, chart. yeah, I mean. If the, Good. So UDO, tune back in when hopefully <laughs> Two years all this we'll gets solved. Out. <laughs> anyway, right. what's so the next a, one? We had another affordable uh, housing vote tonight, and it was right on the edge of my district, but it was in District 4, Councilmember Phipps, uh, at Sugar Creek near the 85 interchange. And so this one was a different circumstance, though it did, again, as tends to be the case in any part of, of Charlotte, uh, we diff- we had some traffic concerns and very valid traffic concerns. That's a that's how I get to Interstate 85 from my house. I can vouch for how bad traffic is on Sugar Creek Road. Uh, again, traffic's bad all over our city, so we 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 can't necessarily just start denying rezonings based on that. Um, in this case, again, we're talking about affordable units. We're talking about affordable units in an area of town that is a lower income area of town already, and so the argument is. The argument against it is we don't want to compound um, affordable housing on affordable housing on affordable housing. My contention, as was the case for the district representative, uh, Greg Phipps, and uh, our colleague Braxton Winston, who actually doesn't live too, too far from this site, was that this area is changing. And so we can say today that it's a low-income area, but we just opened the Blue Line extension uh, last week, which was amazing and and it's going to be transformative for the city. Um, That's not far from this site. Uh, We've also got the Cross Charlotte Trail Greenway system that's going to be running through the Hidden Valley neighborhood. So people think of Hidden Valley and they think of the fact that it was on 
the History Channel a decade ago talking about the Hidden Valley Kings gang, mm-hmm. all the criminal activity that happened along that corridor, the rolling shootout that happened on North Tryon a decade ago. And that's not that long ago. But that neighborhood has changed a lot already. And it will change even more in the next 10 years than it's changed in the last 10 years. And if we're not proactively looking for ways to lock in affordability in those neighborhoods, like many of the neighborhoods in my district, 10 years down the road, you've missed the boat and you can't go back in and and, and reprogram in affordability because the land value is too high. So this to me is a long play, and and I was very disappointed um, that some of our colleagues voted against it, and to me didn't have very good reasons for voting against it, and, and it's easy to campaign on stuff. It's hard to vote on stuff, and when there's people that email you, and there's people that stand up and have signs and say, don't do this, the fact of the matter is we put in the work to know whether something's a good idea or not, or and you know to, to hope we know whether something's a good idea or not. Only time will tell on any of these, but... It's easy to say you're for something, but when you got to stand up and, and look a lot of angry people in the eye and explain why you did something, it gets a lot harder. And I, and I hope that, that folks have the backbone to, to vote the way that they campaign because, uh, you know, pe- people will hold them accountable. Yeah, that's a great point. I totally agree. Um, you know, one other point for tonight that really um, y- you will notice that I uh, probably harped on it more times than was necessary, but... I really wanted to make a point to staff and our planning staff particularly that they probably love you. Yeah, well, you could see there was this kind of like smirky look on a few faces towards the end because they're like, not "We a get smirk. it." Yeah. <laughs> well, um, my point here is, I and I've said it before. You know, I feel like we've got a bunch of people playing detective and matchmaker and negotiator versus traffic cop uh, in 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 applying our policy in the in the way of our area plans and and different things like that um, to you know being supportive or opposed to these petitions as they come in and one great example to me the best I've ever seen in our three plus months here was all the community members when we learned about that Eagle Lake or what, what was it uh, yeah the Eagle Lake community out Eagle Lake the airport. community shout Making, out to Eagle Lake Eagle Lake I'm, yeah, I'm looking big forward shout to coming out, to visit man. that place and, looks uh, sweet and now you've told us about it I so wanna, yeah. people are going to be pretty excited. I'd like to I'd like to go kayaking with with someone out there. So hit us up, yeah. Hit Eagle us up. Lake residents, we're going to come kayak with kayak you. kayak with you out there. But the point here is, the staff says um, we are. Uh, wait, all these are blending together. They were opposed. They were a. The plan said something about buy a buyout. Yeah, the plan said um, that in order for anything to happen with the property out there that is currently just empty space, um, for them to do anything. They had to buy out they. either the airport or the developer had to buy out that neighborhood. So it didn't say, uh, you know, we, we, we have to offer them. And if they refuse, then it, said, it literally said buy them out. Black and white stated. But they said, we're in support of doing this industrial uh, commercial rezoning here because it didn't seem like they want to be bought out or anything like that. It wasn't ask them the question. It wasn't the... It was pretty black and white. BS answer we got from the from the uh, from from our colleagues at the airport who were basically like, well, the noise uh, corridor and the FAA. It, they weren't asking if you're able to buy them out. They said you buy them out or you don't consider it. Basically, so this is this was the, a prime example of again finagling it. Yeah, exactly. So like and so the 
hopefully UDO will solve all of this. I, I'm, it's the magic black box that we point to, literally, for all the discrepancies we've if faced three right years now. from now, the UDO hasn't fixed a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to be in a bind. <laughs> but my, my point is this. I am, I am going to, think, make it my mission from every on, z- zoning ca- uh, case here on out to when I see, to, to harass staff <laughs> until they stop doing that. Because it is not their job to sit, have somebody come in and make them like them and say, okay, well, I can support it and I can finagle it. I want to see the black and white statement of what your interpretation of this area plan is. And if you want to do like our, our staffer did today, which I thought was great, say, hey, you know what? Um, the, the area plan is ridiculous. That's great. But just uh, say yeah, that to times me. Times have changed. And, maybe that's and a, say we need to update the area maybe plan. Maybe that's a line item in the packets we receive about these is to say, Anytime there's an area plan that impacts the, the area we're rezoning, maybe there needs to be uh, some verbiage from staff that says this area plan was created in 1976 and is no longer relevant to the current status and use. Or it says this plan was created in 2007 and is still very much applicable to the land use that we think is best for this area. And because these these plans are have widely varying ages on them, and widely varying levels of relevancy, I think. And so that's probably something we should have called out in our materials so that we know going in, is this plan terribly out of line with, with the realities of, of current of, of the current day or, or not? Um, one thing I will I want to shout out to the Eagle Lake folks and, and to the petitioners at the airport. There was agreement on both sides that there yeah. had been a lot of agreement on so both sure. sides and that they had met, that they had compromised – the neighborhood, despite what you just outlined, had not dug their heels in and said, no, no way, no how, that we're never going to support this. They said, you know, that's not our vision for this area, but if you guys are willing to do X, Y, and Z, we can come around on and, this. And that's why I said that I thought the neighbor, in my comments, the neighbors were in the driver's seat here. Because when you're looking for compromise, it's not 300 or 250 feet or 100 feet. It's of a buffer. It's of a buffer. Sorry. It's, um, it's hey, we have the right to say area plan says nothing here, and we're back. So they have yeah. negotiated already. I think that, that whoever's on the other side of this needs to think long and hard about their very reasonable ask yeah. of a three hundred foot buffer. So to those of you who might be uh, future uh, presenters at a at a council rezoning meeting, that to me said so much. And I think that the the dialogue that now this was a hearing tonight, so we didn't make a decision. We'll make that next month. I think the dialogue from all around the dais basically led me to believe people were, were relatively in agreement that the neighbors had been incredibly reasonable. The neighbors were willing to find compromise, and it's a lot easier to work within those type of situations to get some good outcomes for the neighborhood than if your stance is, we support nothing about this. We will never support this no matter what changes are made. Uh, because a lot of these, we you know they'll, they'll bring to us two or three concerns We'll work with the developer or the petitioner to address those concerns. We come back and go, hey, great news. I got these problems solved for you. And they'll go, oh, well, now I have some other problems. Yeah. And so there, some people are just never going to come around on these things. But when a neighborhood says, here's what we need to be in support and then actually follows through with that, I was, if we saw more like that, not only would it, would it be a more enjoyable process for everyone involved, there would be better outcomes for everyone involved. And um, so, so big, big props and, uh, Big ups to the Eagle Lake folks because I think they're going to get something they're happy with because they came to the table and said, we're willing to work with you and we're willing to try to make this um, amicable. You've been working on your jump shot. <laughs> That's 
your, your obscure references, then I have to come in and explain them. <laughs> That's the way this works. We've man. got a, uh, so there's a, a city employee basketball tournament coming up in May, and uh, the five freshman uh, freshman council members have. Uh, the Fab Five. That we're, we're, as, as a lot of the people. The team name is the Fab Five. If you were a yeah. basketball fan in the early 90s, um, Chris Weber, Jawan Howard, and the, and, the, and the crew, or if you're a Carolina fan, you just remember Chris Weber calling that timeout. Um, we don't intend to end our tournament that way. I I intend to We're end it with like a torn Achilles. The city. And, yeah, the, 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 the firefighters, city. the police officers, yeah. the solid waste guys. So we're going to get also, killed. I was working on my J yesterday. I'm not uh, going to lie to you. We're going to get killed. But you, you should come nice. out and cheer us on in May. We'll let you know. We don't have the dates yet. But if you want to see me probably bent over a trash can vomiting uh, or like one of us with a torn Achilles being carried off on a stretcher, it's going to be uh, it's going to be prime time viewing. It's awesome. So we got a great couple segments coming up. The third one. Did you want to hit our last our last rezoning case real quick? Oh, what was it? CP. Oh yeah, our yeah, friends at right. Central Piedmont yeah, Community College. Important. So um, that was the one other kind of hot button hearing we had today. And you know, there's a lot of stuff at play. CPCC. Now, if I could go back in time, I got to tell you, I'd, I'd be taking a harder line on this because we that's lost, what we, you do if you could we, go back in time. Yeah, I, yeah. If I if I had the ability to go back in time, I would specifically. I'd go back like literally four hours ago. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean like a year ago. Oh, okay. Um. So one of my favorite places in Charlotte, the Double Door Inn, and um, you know, Tark, you and I have talked ad, ad nauseum about yes. the need to help not only preserve what what live music community we have left in the city, but to try to accelerate its regrowth. Let's make that a topic for a future podcast because um, we've been talking about making that an We can bring on like man. the music editor from Creative Loafing or yeah, somebody. Yeah, make Charlotte like a, uh, a live music, music hub. headquarters and hub. Um, Tark has proposed that we'd be like the polka capital of America, but I think somewhere in Wisconsin already has it. No, we can, so we can We'll find it. something. Yeah. Anyway, so this, uh, so CP bought up like six, seven, eight parcels on the corner of Charlottetown and Elizabeth right along the streetcar, right kind of in the midst of their existing central campus. And, and there's all sorts of issues. I mean, there's, there's traffic concerns there, again, as always. Uh, there's parking concerns, which also common thread in all these things. Um, their parking deck on the corner of 7th in Charlottetown is currently not in use, though they have assured us and, and are putting in writing that it will be before they use this new academic building. Um, but that campus continues to expand, and there's going to be um, some heartburn as there always is with all development. But ultimately, I mean, CPCC is one of our great community partners. Um, I think, you know, the things they've built on campus in the last decade have been good-looking, quality buildings. I, I don't see why they'd be changing course in, in the way they build their campus. But they're the they're the workforce development. And I know economic development's a big thing for you. Our community college is one of the best in the state. If, if they can continue to grow, I think that only benefits the city. There's a lot of stuff I think the staff and the petitioners and the neighborhood are going to all hone in on to try to make this better for everybody. And I hope it comes back to us in a way that that everyone's more supportive of in a month. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, CP is, is doing the work of helping put our people to work. And I think that, uh, you know, when they've got opportunities to expand, that's something I, I, I'm I tend it. to be on board I, with. And I, you know I love them. I mean, they're incredible. Um, and But but this one, to me, it just it bothered me. One, because of the two buildings they were asking for rezoning, the two, the two parcels of land. The second one was completely undefined. I mean, it was literally like 
uh, we could do something else there, but we literally have no idea what it is. But go ahead and rezone it. And I think that was that was one that was kind of like, all right, well, why not wait till you have it? If it's conditional, shouldn't we put some conditions on it? Because it's essentially conventional, if not. And then two, the response that this, I got, why CDOT said that, that why they uh, decided to, to not uh, pursue the traffic study, even after it was triggered in this case, because it's uptown. But to me, it's like, I didn't love that. Well, here's some insider baseball on that one, and they touched on it a little bit in the meeting, but um, the thought was they negotiated with CP to get this left turn lane off from Charlottetown onto the 3rd, 4th Street connector. Um, That's going to flow traffic through that site better than it currently does. The thought was if they did this traffic study that there was a high likelihood it would come back saying that there were no requirements for CP to improve the traffic flow through there. And then you don't end up with this turn lane. So it was kind of a, uh, it was a little bit of a trade-off there to say, you don't have to do the traffic study if you make this traffic improvement um, voluntarily. Ultimately, it's probably a better outcome for the site. But but I agree. I mean, we've got to have rules. they got to be pretty black and white. In this case, I think we're actually getting something we probably wouldn't have gotten as a, as a result of the traffic study. But, um, and the other thing that, and I don't have an answer to this question, so it's just food for thought. How much should trust and and history play into the way that we rezone these things? Because we probably wouldn't consider something like what you just how you just outlined this plan if it were a stranger that was coming in from you know wherever Dallas, Texas, and building something had never built anything in Charlotte. None of us knew who they were. We had no track record to go on. We'd probably be a lot more hesitant. It's CPCC. We've seen them build a lot of buildings in the last decade. They're people we know. It's a community partner. Should that play in? I don't know. Mm. Can you factor in the, the that we've seen what the work they do? We've seen the buildings they build. We, we know that they're a sustainable entity, all those things. Or do we have to treat everybody like a stranger from somewhere halfway across the country? But, but what if they don't end? What, what if they build building one? And then building two never gets in the works. And ultimately, we've given them a more valuable zoning capability that then they sell off to somebody who is that. We, we, there are no strings by which we can control. Yeah, although the, staff was going to dig into the technicalities of it, but there is some sense that an educational institution, educational institutional use would be required. And that anyone who would buy it and do anything outside of that realm would have to come back through another rezoning. That's going to be clarified, and I think that'll be important. And I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not for, like, overly being prescriptive and, and doing all this Big stuff. Big government I'm, I'm a free market, <laughs> small government guy. But yeah, it sounds when, like it. <laughs> but when I'm being asked to go outside of the comfort zone of certain areas to do something more because they need to, they need more density, they need more height, something like that, you know, I, I want to make sure that that doesn't get abused yeah. in, in a way that's not consistent with the area plan. Well, we're going to have some interesting uh, votes next month. We're going to have some... Uh, next week, even. Well, next fact. week, we're not going to be voting. We're going to be listening to a couple more hearings we didn't oh, get yeah. through tonight because of our self-imposed 10 o'clock curfew, which went to 1030 tonight. Um, a, a thing I also think maybe we have to revisit. But um, next week will be... Every week's interesting. But next week's our next month's zoning meeting, we're going to have some, uh, some more tough votes. And, and again, I think people have got to be willing to take those tough votes. So we will... We will find out next month. Mm. But next segment, we've got the man, the myth, the legend. Well, hold on. Before you say the next segment, let's see what the third segment is. Because uh, Ed Driggs, council member, District District 7, going to join us. He joined us a little earlier in the day. 
but he's going to talk to us a bit about the D.C. trip we took last week uh, to, uh, among other things, lobby our congressional delegation. But now, for the big transition, uh, 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 one of my personal favorite people in town, for sure, uh, also known as uh, our chief of police, also known as uh, the baddest of the bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Do you come for me? Ladies and gentlemen, into the uh, crossfire zone of R&D and the QC today, Chief. Good morning. Thanks for having me. This is a big honor for you, right? It is, man. In a fantastic, roomy, spacious office. Yeah, I've been over to your your digs. I'm going to tell you, a lot better than this, uh, what we're sitting in here now. I haven't, but I'm guessing he has a window to the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, he does. We we have windows. Tark and I have windows in our offices, but only to the hallway. Yes, yes. So, chief, we really appreciate you coming on. You're my favorite person in all of government, um, which is saying a lot. It's a bold statement. Bold statement of all of government, top to bottom. Though you do hate government, I do, but I do hate government. That's (laughs) true. Uh, Good point. So, chief, um, you know, we're honored to have you on, and we just wanted to tee it up. We we've had a community safety meeting in the last week or so, uh, where we talked about a few items. And then we've had a lot of officers show up to our meeting, a lot of folks that I know you support around um, recruitment, retention, uh, a lot of the challenges that, that we and many others are facing. You know, what, where do you want to start with kind of uh, the topic that's at the top of your mind? Sure, recruitment and retention is, is huge for us. Uh, our officers have been struggling for quite a while, uh, really been listening to them for the last two years in particular. Uh, and, and we're trying to find ways to mitigate, uh, to keep those good people who've committed to being here a part of our city and to attract new talent. That's the biggest challenge for us right now. So is it? So you almost have to break these down while they're related. You almost have to break them down in two buckets, the recruitment piece and then the retention piece. And sometimes they can, as we've seen, can almost be counterbalancing effects or, or the opposite of that where – I think it was the, um, what, what's the name of that program? The lateral folks, incentive. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So where folks come in that way, that's a needed element. I think everyone pretty much agrees with that. But there, that doing that can also upset some folks who are in there and seeing folks jump in at levels, right? Oh, without question. Uh, what we're trying to do is balance so that we're, my first goal with the lateral incentive program, though, was to bring in professionals, mm-hmm. bring in talented people who would come here and want to show their talents to the city of Charlotte. Uh, to do so, we wanted to treat them as professionals, meaning we wanted to pay them uh, for their experience. And uh, there is a cap to that. So we wanted to make sure they didn't leapfrog some of our seasoned veterans. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're still working through that. I think we have a pretty good plan in place at this point. Um, we listen to our people. We're bringing in more people. But to do that, you got to make sure you're not um, – uh, it's not an affront to them because people coming in with more experience makes more money. So. We're doing that delicate balance. That's not unique to CMPD, though. I mean, every company brings in outside people at high management levels because of the experience that they bring with them. So that's not um, – I mean, if, you, if you've worked at any company, somebody's come in from the outside and, and maybe, you know, quote-unquote leapfrogged ahead of you. But if they have more experience, I mean – and better for us to bring in folks who are already 10-year veterans or five-year veterans um, – than, and teach them the Charlotte way than trying to teach them completely from scratch. But, but it's unique, though. I agree with you. But it is unique in the sense that 
it's hard to compare CMPD first responders who put their lives on the line with anything else because, you know, their morale, you know, someone's morale is off in a morning at, you know, Joe's Crab Shack. No one's going to die, right? I'll tell you, though. Well, um, seafood can be dangerous. <laughs> that was a bad, bad, bad example. I'll I tell you, though, it's different for us. Uh, it's, it's, it's counter to the culture of policing for the most part, except for executives. Because we'll do a nationwide search when we're looking for a chief, yet we act like we can take anything coming on the other end, coming mm -hmm. in uh, the lower ranks. And I think it's it's an affront to the professionalism and the talent that we have there. And what we're trying to do is reward that talent without um, offending those who are already here. Yeah, Chief, one thing um, we heard a lot recently about comparisons to other parts of our state mm. in terms of what's being done uh, for their officers compensation-wise and um, – but, you know, then it was pointed out to us afterwards that the city that we were being compared to is not really in any way a peer city to us in terms of size of, of their police force or size of the city itself. When you look at, and I'm, I'm sure you do, we haven't had a chance to yet, when you look at our actual peer cities um, in the southeast or in the country, how do we stack up against them? That's probably a more accurate sure. assessment than, than maybe what we were given. Uh, what I'll tell you is when you compare apples to apples, we do have a competitive salary. No question. Our issue is benefits, and mm -hmm. that's really what people are attacking us on, trying to recruit people out because of our benefits. Uh, we've done some things uh, with the long term in mind that have helped, that have hurt us in the short term. Uh, we we have uh, agencies even in the state that have long term medical, and uh, in 2009 a decision was made was made to terminate that for new people coming on, and that really hurts us competitively. So what, how, how did you feel when you saw the Ra Ra Raleigh PD was down here recruiting in our backyard? Is, is that just a non-event and that happens everywhere? Or it's a were you kind of like, eh? It's a non-event unless you uh, have a camera and you, and you talk to people through that camera for a living. Uh, I happen not to be a member of the media. It's not a big deal. Um, they're here. We're over there as well. We go all over the state and we'll continue to. And uh, with our latter incentive, we're going to take a lot of people from a lot of agencies. It's not personal. It's just professional um, competition. They were here. Um, I wish them well, but uh, I think we're going to get a lot more people coming here than leaving. It was a slow news day. They had to cover something. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was all they could find. Um, so one, Tark mentioned we just had a community safety committee meeting. Uh, Tark's a member of that committee. I'm not, though. I sat in on the last meeting. Uh, and the main thing... We're going to need you to talk less as a non-committee member, by the way. Well, same to you and every other committee. <laughs> um, but... One of the main things, pretty much the thing we talked about in that meeting was the Citizens Review Board. And I was um, actually pleasantly surprised to hear... You changed my mind. ...your angle on um, on some of your thoughts about the CRB uh, that I think were more in alignment with mine than I might have guessed initially. Sure. Uh, so I'd love for you to speak on that and where you see that board going. And before you do, let me just let me just make a, a quick Senate statement of what where I was before I heard you speak, which was... CRB is not an investigative, judicially trained body, and I was concerned to, to understate it that we would hand them something like subpoena power. So that's where I was before, which is, sure. uh, according to you, a kind of a standard uh, national uh, perspective on these things. So and that, for our audience, explain what the Citizens Review Board is from your perspective, if you will. Absolutely. It's like an appellate court. Um, somebody feels that I've uh, made a, a decision that uh, they don't disagree with, they can always appeal the CRB, and they can look at it as if they're in appellate court. Uh, what what I um, will say is the reason I'm supportive of subpoena power is because our cops show up. Our officers always show up to tell their side. 
we can't compel anybody else to do so. And what we don't want is a process that's one-sided. The, um, as for investigative and disciplinary uh, authority, I'll never support that. That's my job. I think we have people who are professionals who investigate it as objectively as a human can, and we know our policies better than anyone. So, to me, that was a big deal, and, and, it, and it, I don't change my mind that quickly uh, on a lot of topics, but that one immediately was no-brainer because I learned two, two important things. One, your cops are showing up, <laughs> and, and it's the other folks that might round out and almost tell a different or worse story in some cases to the perspective they're getting only getting one side. And two, um, anyone as part of the, uh, I guess, stakeholder group of this can call witnesses. So it's not just relying on the CRB to decide who they want to pick. You and your group can choose those folks. So that was almost a, a no-brainer to me when I heard that. And one thing somebody, the other course of conversation as it relates to the CRB that we talked about that day was maybe we need to compel the folks who are interested in serving on that board mm. to go further and deeper in their training and in their understanding of the work that you do, uh, uh, whatever it is that can help them walk a mile in your officer's shoes yeah. as, as much as that is realistic or possible for a citizen. Um, though I did have some people push back on me, I think most of us agreed on a lot of that. I had some pushback after that meeting from folks that said, you know, if you if you make the bar too high and you basically turn it into like National Guard service where you're doing a weekend of training every month, then that really limits who can serve. I don't disagree at all. I think you have to uh, be careful. I think they should see exactly uh, why we establish policies the way we do. I think, though, uh, a normal, uh, balanced, common sense approach to the membership is, is important. But also, there's a sacrifice. And the other thing is they got to be thick-skinned. I mean, they're going to be between a rock and a hard place, and I say in a bulldozer, because everybody's coming at all angles. There's some people who want their agendas, and they want that board to actualize those agendas. And our struggle is they're in a pillow court. They're there to make sure they keep us in line. I'd like to ask one final question, and in respect for you, I'll ask it to Larkin, and we can debate. And if you want to chime in, you can, yes, but you are not forced Can't to do so. Can't wait to see what this is. So there's been a lot of... Uh, of uh, noise and movement around 287G. And um, Larkin, I think you and I kind of fall on opposite sides of this one, which is another reason I bring it up. But, you know, I hear a lot of anecdotal reasons from the side that says disband it, get out of it, which are folks in the Latin American, Latino community are scared to report crimes, things that make sense. But again, anecdotal. And then the sheriff got up in front of the county commission and gave what I think was as close to a data-based response to what what people are off the streets because of this program, the fact that we're not considered a sanctuary city, and most importantly to me was it's a database. We're in this program to have access to this database. If we're not in it, we don't have access, and I'm a believer in data. So do you have any views as to, uh, I'm catching you off guard with this, I know, but uh, uh, where you fall on the opposite side? Is this an R&D item? I like, I like that you framed it as if I don't believe in data. Um, Why don't your folks is, believe in which, data? Which is, is actually, I guess question one. Which is actually your party's stance, I think. But, um, <laughs> no, I look, Sheriff Carmichael is someone I, I really like as a person. I've not been, um, honestly, I've not been happy with, with some of the decisions that have been made in that department. Um, and, this, and that's one of them. I do think it erodes trust between our immigrant and foreign-born populations. 
uh, in law enforcement, and I think it makes them less likely. But that—that's the anecdotal stuff I keep and, hearing. They're but, like, "Oh, well, you know, but, but how many people well, so, would report of, something tomorrow some with of it's that panic. database access gone that wouldn't today?" Some some of these, you know, terrible criminals that have been uh, nabbed in this program is a bit anecdotal too. I mean, a lot of the people that are getting swept up in this are not uh, are not drunk drivers. They're not committing violent crimes. Um, so to me, there's a line, and maybe maybe as I think both of us oftentimes fall, there's probably a, a happy me- medium in here somewhere. And to me, that happy medium is, you know, if we're dealing with people who are committing felonies, that's one thing. If we're dealing with people and we're, we're nabbing people that are uh, committing misdemeanors or... or well, you're not missing drugs. a parking ticket. you go, you got to enter the jail system from what I understand. Well, I wonder what the CMPD you, view you on this enter is. The, uh, I can tell the chief wants to jump in, but let me, let yes, me say that there is a difference between being arrested and being convicted. And so when you're arrested, right. you have not yet been given the right to a fair trial to determine whether determine your guilt or, or lack thereof. So, you know, if people are getting caught up because they've been convicted of something, that's different than being arrested for something. Chief has something he clearly wants to add. Sure. Uh, I'll just tell you this. Um, the intent was to make sure we're taking felons and gang members um, who are violent out of, out of play. Uh, if you apply that specific to those reasons, I think you'd have a totally different outcome. If you're asking everybody about their... Uh, um, na- national origin, I think it's a different application. Mm-hmm. And so if it were as it were designed, I think it's a good tool. Uh, I don't know that it's being applied that way. Mm-hmm. Summary, your favorite member of the local government agrees with me, so I'm right. Well, I, I wouldn't go that far. He carefully <laughs> worded what he said. He carefully worded what he said. I'm not qualifying anything. I'm right. I win. Well, so, uh, uh, yeah. Disagree. Uh, we'll, we'll disagree to disagree. Well, as, as with all things, the answer is neither on the far left end of the spectrum or the far right end of the spectrum. I think it, the program needs to be, if it's going to continue to be implemented, which with this sheriff it is, uh, if he's reelected, I'm sure it will continue to be, but it needs to be dialed in so it's more effectively targeting the people it's designed to target and not sweeping up with it uh, lots of other folks who um, really have no business being involved in it. Well, isn't it weird that I, on the R side of this equation, am supporting your D sheriff right now? I mean, what's the deal with that, Lars? Well, y'all didn't run anyone for sheriff or district attorney. We don't need matter. to. There's such a great Democrat there that's uh, in office, right? Well, that'll be something for us to talk about after the May primary. <laughs> Good. Well, Chief, any final thoughts? I mean, there's a lot more we could have talked about with you. You are my favorite, so you can you have the final word of anything you'd like to say here. All I'll say is this to our people, our officers out there who are putting their lives on the line and really sacrificing for us. We hear you. We know you're struggling. We hear the uh, the pay. We're going to make sure we deal with the leapfrogging for our lateral incentive program. We also continue to talk to the city manager and uh, let them do their magic around benefits because we want a comprehensive and competitive package. Give us time to work through it. Uh, you know I got your back. What, one, one final point and a question to you to take us out. The final point is the, the ball is in your court as chief and the city managers on the budget. Just know that we're going to be there to support you as much as possible uh, for what you guys need. And two, uh, what's your favorite song? Do you have a song you'd like to be played in? Uh, into this segment with? I mean, is there something that or out. jumps to mind? Or out. Yeah. He's looking at uh, his uh, one of his... Uh, bad boys. Bad boys. Oh! Is that too cliche? No, I don't think so. That, that, that could be appropriate. You really don't want to hear what I'm thinking, so let's go <laughs> We really do now. Let's go without. We really do. All right, we'll take that offline, and if it's uh, appropriate for airplay, we'll, we'll put it on. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for everything you do for yes. our city. We'd love to have you back. All right, Chief. We'll be right back after this break.
right, our final segment of episode 11, we bring in council member Ed Driggs from District 7. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here. All right. I need the two of you to, to catch me up to speed. My, uh, I and a couple of our colleagues weren't able to make the trip to D.C. last week. So you went up there for the National League of Cities. It was a, a conference and an opportunity for you to lobby our congressional delegation from the state. Uh, tell me what you guys did. What were the Give me a couple of highlight moments. We already know uh, one of Ed's. He can speak to Braxton's red suit that he wore. That was pretty amazing. That was rosé. But uh, besides yeah, the fact pink. that Braxton's yeah. incredibly well-dressed, what you guys accomplish without me up there? I got a lot done here while y'all were gone. And we definitely carried the weight for you while we were there. Thanks Thank for you. Having. No problem. Mr. I, I think we had a bigger impact on the course of, of the city and the future, being in Washington and then being here. Yes. We, we talked to five members of our congressional delegation, two senators and three representatives, and we had a chance to talk about our priorities in affordable housing and also to learn about uh, what they see as the outlook for federal funding in some areas that are important to us. So very informative and, I think, useful meetings. So Senator Burr, Senator Tillis, Representative Adams, Representative Pittenger, and was it would have been in Hudson? Hudson. Representative yeah. Hudson. All yeah. right. I was incredibly impressed. This was my first time to sit in uh, Senator Burr's office and we had you know, we know some of the we don't know what he's going through on a day to day basis, but we know enough of the topics to think the gravity of that is incredible. I was just so impressed with him. Well, and particularly because on our way there, we learned that Tillerson had been fired. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that affects Via, via tweet. Uh, via tweet. Yeah, the whole thing broke, and we're sitting there disbelieving, looking at our phones and stuff. But Burr, meanwhile, as the intelligence guy, the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, is really kind of worried about the ripple effect from that and how it affects his life. Yeah. So we got about 10 or 15 minutes with him, and then he said, guys, I'm really sorry. But during that time, I think it was apparent that his knowledge of our local issues is mm -hmm. very impressive. Mm -hmm. So he has this national responsibility, but he's also very engaged in North Carolina and knows about Mecklenburg County. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a North Carolina guy through and through. He's from Winston-Salem, went to Wake Forest, and, um, and has been representing some portion or all of our state for now what? Well over two decades, right? Maybe maybe almost three. Well, as a House member and then right. uh, two-term senator. senator, yeah. Now yeah. third term, right? I guess he's in his third. Yeah. I'm not sure where we are right now, but yeah. So in those term. five meetings you had, obviously it was um, with both Dem with both Republicans and a Democrat. Do you feel like they all had that pretty good grasp of, of the issues we face here in Charlotte-Mecklenburg, and that they're more or less aligned with with what we want to accomplish and specifically uh, we hit on five things right. uh, some of which were more impactful legislative than others. agenda items and so there were a couple of kind of housekeeping chores like making sure that our airport tower is finished on mm -hmm. time renewing our request for doppler radar that was where, my topic i got yeah, to hit that I, one with i must them. say the guy i he, covered it he, beautifully he uh, that one's so, important. It doesn't. It sounds like it doesn't sound like a big deal to people, but that's really important. It's, it's not sexy, but our early warning capability on weather situations is really not lessened good. because we don't have that radar. And it's bit us once before with a tornado that kind of caught us off right. guard. So, so the guys, they're pretty engaged on that. I don't think we had a problem about it. Then we got into infrastructure stuff and talking about what the general outlook was, and also asking for their interpretation of the president's budget. <laughs> because the president had proposed to defund the CDBG and the home money. Which Community Development Block Grants. We yes. try to define all yes, our acronyms that's on the show. Right. Yeah. And we got uh, some uh, some general consensus that that may not be a full-blown conclusion. I don't, that's not going to happen. I don't, I don't think there's the mood in Congress for that. It's just an example of how the president puts something out there and then something different happens. And that's every president. I mean, yes, the president's right. budget is usually... 
kind of put right into the circular file and then they start over, it seems like. It, it's an expression of his priorities and it enters into his conversations with Congress, but they don't take that and then mark it up. They, right. They write their own. So uh, we were comfortable that that $8 million a year that the city gets for housing purposes from the feds is unlikely to go away. I think what I heard was it's likely to be flat. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, But other infrastructure funding is more uncertain, right? So we're talking Tiger grants. We're talking the amount of federal funding that's available for projects like our Blue Line. And the president had put out there a 20% funding number. It had been 50. It was earlier. It was even 80. So the question is, uh, what, how does the landscape change in terms of funding the huge transportation agenda that we have that adds up to five or six billion dollars? So as a newbie in my first time going through it, I, 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 I'm wondering if you felt the same way. I felt like the talking points are delivered to them. You know, they leave and they have beforehand the slides of what, what our legislative agenda is. This felt more like an opportunity to just be in front of them I don't, did you feel like we accomplished something very tangible or is this part of the annual process by which relationship, we, you know, relationship yeah. building and it's kind of, you know. But look at it conversely. Yes, it's a courtesy call to a certain extent. We thank them uh, and we show ourselves and so they know who they are. But imagine if you didn't go mm. and the guy's sitting there and he's Larkin. thinking about the priorities. <laughs> I mean the city, you know. Right. Larkin. Nah, yeah, yeah. If Larkin has a problem, forget it. No, but seriously, if the city didn't go to the trouble yeah, to visit them and show them the respect and the courtesy of, of kind of communicating, then we, we just get demoted in terms of their overall priorities. Well, we see it as, as council members. I mean, the, the squeaky wheel often gets the grease. And so, I mean, it's... It's the neighborhoods that are more proactively advocating for their their issues that we that are probably front of mind when we're tackling issues. So I mean, right? And we did get some tactical updates. I mean, we we it basically made the Doppler topic irrelevant after our meeting with Burr because he said, you know, it, it's basically sitting in front of the OMB at this point, and that's the next stop. And you know, not that's, much we can do no, at this point. And yeah. thankfully, he's a friend of Tark. So Tark, I assume you've already called Mick and gotten that. Greenlit, right? Mick, Mick is the Doppler being built yet? Well, he's he's either that or he's uh, he's enforcing consumer protection items. Depends I, on what which hat he's wearing yeah. today. <laughs> so well, one I'm of glad y'all are able to cover for me. I, right. I apologize, I wasn't able to. Well, be there. well, we did the best we could. Obviously, it was a gaping hole in the lineup. Oh. I try. I should have worn a bow tie for you. Or something. Yeah, it's like, like your nose tackle isn't there on the day. That's you know? right. I what, think that was a fat joke. A fat joke, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, one final <laughs> one final question, uh, Councilman Driggs. Um, as the co-chair of the, the budget committee, you know, we're in the middle of this process, obviously. We've got another workshop, I believe, this week. Um, any sense, I, I know this is kind of in the black box of, of, of the staff at this point, and we'll see more, but any sense of the budget either wins or challenges we're going to have? Uh, I think it's been apparent that we're struggling with our community investment plan mm -hmm. and our debt capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the two biggest conversations we've had. They're by far the largest amounts of money that we have to decide on in this process. So I'm interested to see how that moves forward, how council prioritizes the items that are on our community investment plan and possibly make some changes there. The other one is public safety compensation. So yeah. we did get a request for a big increase. It's not going to be possible, frankly, to do everything they want, just a huge amount of money. But on the other hand, there is an understanding on uh, the part of the manager and I believe council that we need to step up a bit because these guys are in a kind of bad place uh, based on the, the community perception of the police, the respect they get, their compensation. 
So I'd like to see us make a bit of an extra effort on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And th those are the big ones. You then get into a list of how much do we do for everybody else on staff in terms of compensation. The stormwater thing uh, needs to be addressed, may not get done this year. Uh, those are the big Not if Larkin has anything to do with it. He's raising um, uh, motions that are not being seconded. But, uh, <laughs> but it, 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 <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I, I have a proposal that will eliminate six hundred million dollars of the billion dollar backlog. Yeah, for the low price of five million dollars. What a deal, yeah. man! <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean we've all seen that proposal. If you I don't, just... if you don't get that joke, you have to go back and listen to some old episodes where we talk about. Speaking of uh, we, uh, about your point point about public safety, we just uh, in an earlier segment had the uh, Chief Putney on. And we asked him the question loosely because it's still in, in, in works about um, about the budget. And he said that uh, surprisingly, he thought that we were better aligned maybe with some comparable cities uh, on pay. But where we do have a real struggle is being competitive with our health benefits, specifically at retirement, which was interesting to hear that coming directly from his mouth on maybe how he's parsing out those two areas. What other cities have discovered is that when you take the, the alternative, the choice between cash compensation and these benefits, if people understand that those are mutually exclusive mm. and, they, and they're made to understand this is how much that benefit costs. So they're offered the option, for example, to contribute to a fund to pay for their future health benefits out of their salary. Then the tone of the conversation changes. They want both things. Obviously, more is better. A bird in the hand or two in the bush. <laughs> so our job is, for one, to make them responsible about planning for their future, help them yeah. to provide for their future so they don't end up with no health insurance later on. But at the same time, we can't bow to every wish they have. Final question to you. How is, uh, how's the state of District 7? Uh, District 7 is in good shape. The biggest problem we have is the development issues, the congestion that's being created by development, and choices that we have to make about uh, what rezoning and other development we approve, recognizing how bad the traffic is and uh, how the character of the neighborhoods is changing. So that's been the topic for my town hall meetings for the last couple of years. It's the, the thing that's on everybody's mind. And of course, schools, which is not our responsibility. I was at something last week, and, and what you were just talking about made me think of, of something I thought was really profound that somebody said, which is that you know we we're in a good position. It's it's a good problem to have that people want to build all around our city. The the zoning meeting tonight is looking at, at development in every single district in this city. Uh, whereas parts of our state and and our senators are certainly well aware of this that, that you talk to in D.C. There's no investment going on. No companies are moving there. No people are moving there. So we have the better set of problems to have a lot of people who want to come here, a lot of people who want to raise families here and start businesses here. Um, and congestion's a byproduct of that. And I actually just thought of who it was that said this thing. Uh, the planning director for Atlanta was, was here last week and spoke. And he said, you know, the best cities in the world have traffic problems. They have uh, congestion problems. He said, but, you know, Paris has congestion problems, but they also have Paris. They've got this great amenity that in their city and in the culture and in the, the museums and the restaurants and everything else. And so the fact that we have congestion means there, we have a lot of, to offer and a lot that people want. And what a good problem to have as opposed to the alternative. It's a good problem to have today, but if dealt with improperly, a very bad problem to have a couple of decades from now. Well, the streets of Baltimore and Detroit probably aren't as crowded as the streets of other cities, to mm -hmm. your point. So, yes, it's a high-grade problem. But we need to keep up. If our infrastructure spending lags and we just basically choke ourselves off with our growth, 
then we start to see the uh, out migration. People I mean, won't want to come anymore. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's when it starts to be a real problem. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Glad to have you as a guest today and glad that we are uh, finally done with this marathon of a day. No, we're not. We recorded this out of order, so I was we're actually oh, I was yeah. trying to paint you were the picture. To paint a picture. That, we have yet to go into how many oh. cases do we have tonight? Uh, well, we're starting an hour early, so yeah, I'm sorry, Radio Land. I was trying to lie to you and make it sound like our third segment was being recorded. Can't last. trust the D side of R and D in this program. Yeah. People have gotten into trouble doing that in the past. There's some part of a food fight at our meeting tonight, <laughs> yeah. and we're talking yeah. like nothing. It was happened. great. Uh, Gosh, it all went so seamless. It was so good. Right, well, the been peeled back. We record the show out of order every week. Now you know our deep, dark secret. (laughs) We love you. Make sure you go on, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it with a friend. Keep spreading the good R&D word in the QC. We'll talk to you all next week. Episode 11, in the books. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston.